In the time that I have, I want to really get into God's Word. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 4. I want to get right into God's Word so I maximize the time that we have. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver. Everybody say waver. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Father, we come before you in the precious name of Jesus now and just ask for the the guidance of the Holy Spirit that he would help me with everything that I'm to say and God, that he would give us all an ear to hear what you're wanting to communicate to us today, God, how you want this word to impact our lives. Blessed we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen and amen. All right, so as we just read, Abraham was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 75 years old when God came to Abraham and gave him a promise that they would have a son. Abraham now obviously realized, I'm I'm 100 years old. My wife is 75 years old and can biologically can no longer have children. And so even though biologically that all was hopeless, the Bible tells us that Abraham, against all hope or hopelessness, he believed. He believed that God was faithful to fulfill the promise he had given. And the Bible says that Abraham never wavered in that faith. And that he was fully persuaded, which simply means he was totally convinced, 100% convinced that God had the power to do what he said he would do. Abraham had what I have titled this message. He had all in faith. Come on, say that with me. All in faith. He was all in in this faith, not wavering, but being fully persuaded, being totally convinced that God was, had the power to do what he said that he would do. As a result of that, Abraham is called the father of of our faith. Now, I want to contrast that this morning with another biblical account that gives us uh, uh, an example of faith that wavers so that we can see how uh, the two 
uh, are uh, contrary to one another, and then we're going to talk about how this all connects to our life. Now, before I actually turn to the Old Testament, uh, let's uh, give you just the setup or the scenario, what was going on. There was a severe drought in the land. It had not rained for three years. For three entire years, it had not rained. And the reason for that was because the people of God were into this place where they were not only worshiping God, but they were also worshiping other gods. They were specifically worshiping a god called Baal, or Baal, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Now, Baal was a god that was, he was considered the god of the sun. In other words, when they looked at the sun, that was Baal. And, and in worship of Baal, it was believed that he was responsible for uh, life itself. He was responsible for prosperity itself. And when there was a drought in the land on occasion, the people who worship Baal believed that the drought was as a result of Baal being angry. And so he's holding up the rain. And when that happened, then the people would intensify their worship of Baal uh, and their sacrifices in order to appease him. And the people of God were engaged in that type of worship. Now, Elijah, who was the one who three years earlier had said, it will not rain except at my word. And then Elijah disappears for three years. Now God sends Elijah back and he approaches King Ahab, who was the king of Israel at that time, and a wicked king, I might add, who encouraged the worship of Baal. And he tells the king, I want you to summon all the people of Israel to the mountain, and I want you to bring all those prophets, all those men who speak for the Baal. And so we pick it up as Ahab gathers all of these people in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you what? Waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah now, as the people are gathered, he confronts the people and by asking them, how long are you guys going to keep wavering between these two opinions where there are times where you believe that the Lord is God and you, and you do those sacrifices and then there are times where you believe Baal is God and you serve him and you worship him. How long are you going to go back and forth? In fact, the word waver there in the New Testament means to dance. To dance. You like that? To dance. <laughs> dance. In other words, I'm here one moment, and then I'm, I'm taking a few seconds, and I'm over here, and they would kept going back and forth, back and forth. 
And God sends the prophet to confront his people saying, how long are you going to go back and forth in your faith? Make a decision. If you believe that the Lord is God, then serve him. Go all in. But if you believe Baal is God, then go all in and worship Baal. Go all in according to your faith. And now, the interesting thing I found is that the people said nothing. The people refused to make a decision. They refused to commit one way or the other. And sadly, this pattern of wavering in their faith, of going back and forth, of serving God, but then also serving these other gods. You see it throughout the history of the nation of Israel, God's people. So let's fast forward to today. Because as always, it's important that we look at historically what the Bible talks about God's people and then ask the question, well, How does that apply to me today? What's the connection? What does God want me to know and to learn about this? Because as you and I embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, then we now become the people of God. If you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and his spirit dwells within you, you are now part of the family of God. We are now the people of God. And so the questions we're going to need to ask ourselves is, like Abraham, do we have all in faith? Like Abraham. Or, like Israel, do we find ourselves wavering between two opinions when it comes to serving God. Now, before we answer that question, I think we need to consider some things. All in faith isn't founded upon God providing you with an ideal life, with with wonderful living conditions. You see, and the reason why I say that is because if your faith is founded upon God blessing your life, then what winds up happening when trouble shows up at your door, when all of a sudden life takes a turn and now you have hardships and difficulties and all kinds of things are happening, then all of a sudden now, because your faith was based upon God providing this Eden for uh, this ideal life, and because that's shaken, so is your faith. And and all of a sudden now, what we thought was strong faith begins to waver between two opinions. And it could happen to any one of us at any time when our faith rests upon or is built upon, is based upon God providing us this kind of blessed life. Listen to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at a biblical example. Beginning in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the, two, in the towns of Galilee. When John, this is John the Baptist, 
who was in prison, everybody say prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Jesus. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So, John, who was the forerunner of Christ, who announced uh, Jesus as the Messiah, the one who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. And now Jesus is on the scene, but John continues his ministry, and eventually John is imprisoned. And while he's in prison now, he hears the ministry of Jesus. He hears that all uh, of these miracles are being accomplished. But something is going on in John's heart. See, John now sends one of his disciples to Jesus. And even though he knows Jesus is the one, the question is, are you the one or do I have to wait for somebody else? In other words, John's faith began to waver because he never imagined that being the forerunner of the man who would pave the way for Christ, serving Jesus Christ, would never land him in jail. But it did. And now as he's sitting in a jail cell, he starts wondering why, in the midst of all those other miracles, why hasn't Jesus gotten me out of jail? And so now he sends the question, are you the one or do I have to wait for somebody else? And so many times as the people of God, like John, we waver in our faith when things don't go well. And then we pray even and we wonder, where's God? Why hasn't God responded? My child is sick. Why hasn't God healed him? And all of a sudden, where we profess before that we have faith in the Lord, now we start wavering. Now we start wondering whether God's going to come through or not, whether God has the power or not to do what we're asking him to do. And let me add this. Sometimes our life becomes less than ideal because God's trying to get our attention. Because God wants to reveal our wavering faith. See, here's the truth, brothers and sisters. You never know if you have wavering faith until you find yourself in trouble. We all are good at professing that we believe in Jesus. Glory to God. I have great faith. I believe God can do anything. He's a miracle working God. Okay, God, let me see if you believe that. The only way you're going to find out is I got to put you into trouble. 
And now you're in the storm of your life. And now you're crying out to God, save me, God, God, do something. And nothing happens. How long do you keep believing? How long do you stay strong in your faith? Most of us, if we're honest, tend to begin to waver and begin to wonder, does God have the power to do what I need him to do? And even, does God even want to do it? We waver. There are times where God looks at our life and the way we live demonstrates that we have wavering faith. You see, there are people who look at Sunday morning as an obligation. I need to go to church. I have to go to church. Why? Because that's what Christians do. They go to church on Sunday. The rest of the week, hey, you know what? We can chill out. But Sunday, I, I, I got to go to church. Why? Because if I don't go to church, uh, you know, then, then you know, people are going to start questioning my faith and, and all that kind of But if I go to church, if I, if I clock in on Sunday, I'm good to go the rest of the week. As if God's impressed with Sunday morning attendance. Where's God the rest of the week? Well, you know, Sunday's for God. I've heard that one before. Sunday is for God. Well, what happened to the other six days of the week? Yeah. What about acting one way in church and then acting another way outside of church? Wavering faith. You know, in church, we know how to act. We know how to talk. We know how to walk the walk. But then when we go out through those doors and the rest of the week unfolds, our walk reveals whether we're men or women of faith or not. And can I talk about the last frontier for a moment? You know what the last frontier is, right, everybody? More specifically, Oh, yeah, but let me put that back. Wait a second. <laughs> let me take out the one. <laughs> you see, we love to profess that we are men and women of faith. And yet, the most obvious litmus test there is to evaluate our faith, most of us fail. Because the Bible commands us to honor God with 10% of our income. It is not an option. It is a command from God. Yet, historically and statistically, 90% of people who profess to be Christians refuse to tithe. They say, I can't. I can't afford to give God 10% of my income. I don't think it's necessary. We give all kinds of reasons for that. But most of the time, it's because we feel we can't survive with the other 90%. I can't make it. I can't pay the bills if I, if I do that. Even though God has issued a promise in his word that if you honor me, I will watch over you and bless you. I will provide everything that you need. 
Do we not have that promise in God's word? Come on, let me see an amen. See, you don't even want to say amen to that now. You know it's right. But see, we know it there, but we, we still refuse. We waver to use our, our, our word for today. When it comes out, that paycheck comes, okay, I got to pay. Here's what most Christians do. And pay the rent or the mortgage, pay utilities, and pay this bill, Visa, MasterCard, Macy's, Target, Starbucks, because I had a Starbucks credit card, Starbucks. <laughs> and God is already at the bottom of the list. When God should be at the top. Let me honor God and then let me live with what's left. Let me adjust my life if I have to. Why? Because, see, I'm a man of faith. And if God has promised that he'll take care of me if I honor him, then I'm going to honor him. But the moment I waver, in fact, I was once talking to a young man, and uh, this was uh, many years ago in New York, and he started out honoring God. Faithful. He cried out to God for a job. God got him a job. And he said, Pastor, I'm tithing faithfully. Pastor, I'm tithing faithfully. I said, wonderful. God bless you. And true to his word, God started to bless him. And he kept coming. He said, Pastor, I got another promotion. A couple of months ago, I got another promotion. Pastor, my income has doubled. Then he came later on, my income has doubled again. And then he stopped coming to me. And then one day, he finally came. He said, I've been avoiding you. You know why? Because I've been struggling giving to God. When I was making little money, amazingly somehow, giving God 10% didn't seem like a whole lot. But the more I made, the more that 10% grew. I, all of a sudden, one day I looked at it, that's a lot of money to give to God. This is the truth, you tell me. The percentage hadn't changed, but in his mind's eye, that's a lot of money. I could do a lot with that money. And he forgot that God's promise is connected to obedience. You can't expect God to bless you and to help you to prosper if you're not honoring him. So many of us struggle financially, and I always tell people, if you're struggling financially, start at the base. Look at the foundation. If you're not honoring God, then God is not going to hear, no matter how much you cry out to him, God help me. God says, I'd love to help you, but you're not obeying me. You're the one that is responsible for your struggle. Because if you honor me, if in faith you step out and do what I called you to do, then I have to honor my word to bless you to take care of you. So brothers and sisters, I'm saying this only because this is an area that is a great litmus test for all of us. Why? Because we live in a society that teaches us that money is the end all and be all. And so, and, and we buy into this thing thinking that we're the ones that are in charge, that this is our money, when we are gladly saying like a song, we love that song, I surrender all. Well, do you? Don't be so quick to sing that if you don't mean it. 
Because God will say, okay, you surrender all, then give me this. And for some of us, God will say, I don't want 10, I want 20%. Then what do you do? Well, God, my surrender all was conditional. We laugh, but that's really where we're all at. My surrender is conditioned upon, do I like what I'm hearing? If I like what I'm hearing, I got no problem surrendering. May God help us today to see something here. See, because all in faith, trust in God. And trust in God regardless of the circumstances. All in faith says, I don't care what this world says, I'm going to look at God and his word. I don't care what I'm feeling, I'm going to look at God and his word. Abraham, God told you you're you're going to have a son? You're 100 years old. Sarah's 75. Come on. Even you say she passed the age of childbearing. She dry. It ain't happening. Yeah, I know all that. But God. But God. What do you mean, but God? God has the power to do what he said he would do. See, here's the thing we need to recognize. All in faith doesn't even trust in God's promises. Listen to me now. Don't misunderstand me, but listen carefully. All in faith doesn't trust in God's promises. It trusts in the God of the promises. You see the difference? In other words, there are wonderful promises in this word, but they mean nothing if you don't trust the one who made the promise. Because promises are always conditioned upon who's making it. Because if I keep making you promises and, and, and I keep failing to keep those promises, then you're looking at me, Pastor, don't even make another promise. Because we know you just, you just don't keep them. Right? So, so your faith is conditioned upon not the promise, but the one giving the promise. And so all in faith was all about and is all about God himself. Do you and I trust in God? It's on our dollar. In God we trust. That's the slogan of America. They might as well take it off now because we know by the way we live, this nation doesn't trust in God. But let's not look at them too harshly because the Bible teaches us that their judgment begins in the house of God. So let's talk about us. Let's not talk about our country. Let's talk about the very people of God. Psalm 26 verse 1 says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering without wavering. There are times where life becomes difficult. The Bible teaches us that no one gets into the kingdom of God without going through hardships in life. They're all part of life. Everybody deals with hardships. They're designed to help us see. God doesn't have to see. He already knows. But it's for us to see do we genuinely have faith? Are we all in? Or are we here to serve God so long as God takes care of us? 
There's a question for all of us today. Pastor Jason, if you would come. How long will you waver between two opinions? Think about the prophet Elijah under the inspiration of the Spirit of God and it's recorded forever in God's Word. How God is asking a question and then he follows it up with the condition. Make a decision. It's time that you decide. Listen, if you believe he's God, then go all in. Go all in in serving God. Go all in and say, God, my life is yours. I'm going all in. That means I'm going to live my life to serve you in whatever capacity you desire for that to happen. Everything that's in my possession, I have because you blessed me with it. So God, I'm all in. Use it all for the glory of God. Lose it all for your glory. I'm all in in serving you. God, whether you touch my body and heal me or not, I'm all in, God. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. My praise and worship is no longer going to be conditional because I come to church and, I, and my praise is conditional. If I feel good, then I worship God. That's not all in faith. All in faith says he's worthy of my praise whether I feel good or not. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about who he is. When I come to church, I'm going to bless and magnify the name of the Lord. I don't care if I had an argument with my wife in the car. I will repent. I will tell God I'm sorry. And then I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and do what the Bible tells me to do. I'm going to be all in in serving God. It's time that I'm going to stop sitting in a chair and come in and say, bless me, bless me, and do nothing. I'm all in. I'm all in, God. Whatever you want me to do, God. However you want me to serve, I'm all in, God. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? And everybody in this room and everyone that's watching on the internet, you have a decision to make. Now, here's the deal. You can stay quiet like God's people did or you can decide. Staying quiet means I'm on, still on the fence. Let's get that straight. Saying nothing means I don't want to commit one way to or the other. I want to keep wavering. I want to keep serving God the way I'm doing it right now. Some days in, some days out. I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. I'd rather do that. I'd rather live my life that way. Or you can decide that he's not God and don't serve him. Think about that statement. Oh, I got I to gotta hang there for a minute. Can you imagine what God was saying? You're not all in for me? Leave. I don't need you. That's what God said. Better you make a decision. If you're not all in, go home. This is not the place for people to waver. This is the place for people who want to be all in for God. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, when he's talking to the churches, he said, he said to one church, you're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're right in the middle. I wish you were one or the other. I'd rather you be cold and say, I'm out of here. 
than to stay and say, well, you know, I'm here. I'm lukewarm. That's okay. Lukewarm is okay. Well, not to Jesus, because Jesus said, here's what I do with lukewarm people. I vomit them out. It's one of the strongest languages you'll find from the Lord written right there to his people. Not to unbelievers, but to his people. We're living in a time, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, where God is saying, it's time. Either you are all in or you're all out. Make a decision. What are you going to do with your life? How long are you going to stay in that place where you're back and forth? Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of feeling like, man, some days I feel great, some days I'm not so great, some days I feel like a strong Christian, some days I'm not. Aren't you tired of that going back and forth? Make a decision. You don't want to serve God? Fine, then don't serve God. But if you're going to be here, then be all in. Have I all in faith? I want you to stand with me right now. The reason why I can get my communion cup, I forgot. Yeah. Today, we are serving communion. And if you uh, somehow got by us and you didn't get one of the communion, just lift up your hands. You should come down quickly and make sure you get one. I was thinking about this, and this is why I held communion back to the very end. This simple emblems, the grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, this little wafer cracker that represents his body that was broken on the cross of Calvary, it is because of what Jesus Christ did that we have salvation. Would you say amen to that? Yeah. Listen, this also symbolizes that when it came to purchasing your salvation, Jesus was all in. He didn't hold back. Jesus looked at you and said, I'm all in to save him. I'm all in to save her. I'll do what I have to do. What the Father desires for me to do that I might purchase their salvation. He was all in for you and for me. Does he not deserve the same? Does he not deserve you and I being all in for him?